0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away, back, go! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest-running Internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for another Monday night. And after going through the state high school baseball tournaments over the weekend, I am completely rejuvenated about the Cleveland Indians because they have won five in a row and they are in first place. And believe it or not, the Indians went 5-2 and this week. And the Cincinnati Reds went 5-2 and this weekend. And in order to talk about the Reds, let's bring in our resident Reds expert from down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How are you tonight?
1: Well, David, I'm perplexed. Um, I don't want to root for the Reds, and here I find myself uh, rooting for the Reds. And, uh, you know, if they are truly going after a first-round draft pick next year, (laughs) every time they win a game, they get further away from that. So, uh, no. in all seriousness, it's nice to see them compete. And I don't think anybody is is expecting the Reds to do anything this year, but you don't want to be embarrassed and this team in the first half of the season thus far up until this week had been embarrassed.
0: Well, a check of the records, the Reds are 21-36, and but like I said, they were 5-2 and last week, Mark, and they took two out of three against the Washington Nationals over the weekend. Maybe Dusty Baker should come back into Cincinnati more often because either way you look at it, whether he's the opposing manager or the Reds manager, the team always seems to play better when he's in town.
1: Yeah, I think for some reason the Reds have had good success against Washington, and they should have won the game yesterday. I don't know if you know the details of that game, but they lost 10-9. to But they had the bases loaded with nobody out after they had scored four runs and and could not get the tying run across the plate. So they should have won all three of those games. But, again, uh, compared to what they were doing earlier in the season, this was a good good series for them. They took three out of four from Colorado as well. So, uh, they got good pitching, and that's the key. When you get good pitching, you win. And as we said, uh, really all, all winter, uh, this team is going to hit. It's going to hit for power. And, uh, they've got up, they've lengthened that lineup. And Adam Duvall is bringing a lot of punch to that lineup and and making it a tough lineup to get through. I mean, he was batting sixth or seventh, and the guy is, what, he's 16 home runs with 37 RBIs. And uh that's a pretty potent number seven spot in your lineup.
0: Oh, absolutely. Now as far as the Indians are concerned, like I said, they have moved into first place in the American League Central Division. Boy, what a difference a week makes, Mark. They're thirty one and twenty four. This is the highest amount of games that they've been above five hundred, seven in almost 2 years they were 5 and 2 on the week themselves they're in first place they're a game and a half up on Kansas City they're 3 games up on the Chicago White Sox mark i'll tell you when i look at this team i guess we need to get into the marlin bird suspension first because i think that item of news really tripped a a series of things that happened with the indians that I believe has led up to this five-game winning streak. First of all, I was really rather surprised that Marlon Bird got into the trouble that he did, especially after he fell into that kind of trouble back in 2012.
1: Yeah, What are these guys thinking? What, what's the point? He's 38 years old, and he's still taking something he shouldn't take. Number one, he knows better. But why would you risk – I mean, he could have played maybe another year or two, and picked up another few million dollars. You wonder what goes to their brain cavity to make those kinds of decisions. Now, he's 38 years old. He can't play again till next year, so it means he probably won't play. And he admitted as much by saying this this was it. He's probably going to hang him up. But what goes through the player's mind? especially You know, I can see a 19-year-old doing that, you know, because they want to get to the big leagues. I can't see a 38-year-old doing it.
0: You know, I can actually see a 38-year-old doing it, Mark, because he's trying to get another uh, another year or two out of his career, another year or two of paydays. And you know, when you, when you look at it, I don't think it really does seem like like it's that much out of the realm of possibility for somebody of his age to actually do it to hang on for an extra year or two.
1: Well, maybe so, uh, but I don't know what you're going to gain other than something bad. They know they're going to be tested regularly. Uh, the, the way they're doing it now, it's almost impossible not to be caught. And, it, it again, to me, it, it just sounds like a, a ridiculous thing to do at that age. I, I see your point. But uh, I don't understand why they, they do what they do with the legacy that they could have, this guy's now persona non grata uh, on the on the speaking circuit, and he's not going to be able to talk to kids. And he, you know, there's a whole career for major league ball players when they leave if they leave with a good record. You can get into broadcasting, You can do a lot of stuff, and that a lot of that stuff is then cut away if you are kicked out of the of baseball because of steroids.
0: Well, okay, with the Marlin Bird suspension, that triggered some activity. With the Indians, like I said earlier, that I think has really led to what's going on here. First of all, the Indians were absolutely forced to bring Tyler Naquin back up to the team. Now, when he came back up, they put him in center field and they said, it is your job, you're there, no matter what. And this kid has really responded over the last five games, Mark. He's again, he's still hitting over three hundred, but he's hit three home runs in three consecutive days for the Indians. And he's solidified the defense. So they can keep him in center field now. That shores up that spot. They get Rajay Davis out of the center field spot, which where he can't catch a ball. And until Michael Brantley comes back, you've got Jose Ramirez and now Rajay Davis playing left field, but I think the move that's going to be made, Mark, is when Michael Brantley returns. When Brantley returns, it's probably still going to be another two or three weeks before he actually comes back to the team. They're going to put him back in left field. I think the guy they're going to cut is Juan Uribe. Uribe's hitting under two thirty. He's committed eight errors so far at third base on the year. Wow. He has no range whatsoever. And I think they'll put Juan Ramirez, or Jose Ramirez, excuse me, at third base and just continue to play him at third base and cut Uribe. I think he's the odd man out for the Indians. But I think that has, this whole suspension by Bird has triggered this entire activity for the Indians.
1: Well, Dave, I think you're using this thing with Bird as a situation where you're trying to get around some obvious issues here. Uh, number one, if you remember our selection show or our prediction show, you selected the Cleveland Indians to win the Central. Am, am I correct? Yes, I did. Okay.
0: Uh, no, I I picked them to finish second, but to win the American League.
1: Okay. Yeah, wild card, but they 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 get into the American League playoffs and and, yes. and maybe to the World Series. Then um, a month goes by, and we have a call. You're on the air in front of millions of people. And you said, I quote, I need to rescind my prediction. The Indians are not going to win it. And now you're praising their glories. They're in first place. And now are you rescinding your rescission?
0: No, I'm not rescinding it. What I'm saying is is that the Indians got put into a position where they had no choice than to bring up Tyler Naquin.
1: No, 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 David. No, no, David. You're you're not addressing the issue. The issue is your prediction. You, you predicted the Indians, and you said you wanted to say, "No, I don't think the Indians are going to win it." And I grudgingly said, "Okay, Dave, you can change it." I didn't change mine. No, lines. you never said you can, that. Yeah, I did. I, I said it in my heart. And <laughs> and now you're sound like you're back on the bandwagon for Cleveland again. So what is it, David? No, all,
0: all I am saying, Mark, is that this team, the front office, begrudgingly, if you want to use that word, since obviously you've gone into your thesaurus this week again, <laughs> begrudgingly was put into a position where they had to bring up a player and play him that they had no rhyme to reason for sending down in the first place, Mark. They, they used this hokey excuse that Tyler Naquin had a bad first step in center field. So they had to send him down because they got themselves caught in a contract situation, Mark, where this entire team had to revolve around Marlon Bird and Rajay Davis. Well, now what do you got? You've got Marlon Byrd that is gone. So you've got to bring up a kid that earned his way on this team is what they need in center field, a good defensive outfielder, because you've got to be strong up the middle. And that and they were weak in center field when Rajay Davis played there or Lonnie Chisenhall, or whomever they would ever have out there. Now they've got a good defensive outfielder. They moved Davis to left field where he should be playing. He actually should be a DH. Right now they're still weak in left field, but when Brantley comes back, then they'll be... Back and, and be in good shape defensively in left field. Now the other position that they're going to have to worry about once Brantley comes back is that third base spot. Because Juan Uribe just is not working out for this team. He may be great on the bench, but on the field he is just not working out for this team.
1: David, are the Indians going to win the central or not? Or, or are
0: they probably going to win? not? probably not. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs? Yeah, I think they're still going to make the playoffs. Okay. Um, do I think they're going to win the American League? You know, Mark, when I when I look at this team and and I'm not trying to rescind anything. I I'm just trying to speak facts here, but when I when I look at the standings and I look at this baseball team at 31 and 24 and I look at the rest of the teams in the American League. You've got Baltimore at 32 and 23. You've got Texas at 34 and 22. And the Indians are going out to Seattle tonight. They're going to open up here in about an hour against the Mariners who are 31 and 25 and the Indians have got one less loss than the Mariners. I mean, they're right up there with the upper echelon teams right now in the American League. And we don't have our best player in Michael Brantley. Now, yeah, that does give <clears throat> us some hope, but again, I go back to the fact that the Indians' front office, had it not been for the Bird suspension, Naquin wouldn't be up, and we'd still be fiddly farting around with Marlon Byrd and Rajay Davis in center field.
1: Well, it, it sounds like you are still committed to Cleveland, and if that's the case, I, I think the the fans need to know that you're not going to be. If they go into a seven-game losing streak coming up here in August that you're not going to be backing off from your selection because you know you're a man of honor and I think you just have to hang in there and say uh if they don't win it you screwed up and take it like a man.
0: We'll <laughs> we'll talk about that in August if they have a seven game losing streak. We'll do it then. All right, all right. You know, but the Reds what was the key for them this weekend? Did they get good bullpen work? What was the situation that helped them to make, take two out of three against the Nationals?
1: Starting pitching. And the same thing with Colorado. They had one bad game in Colorado where they gave up 17 runs. Uh, but aside from that, they had great starting pitching. And their bullpen w- was effective. They weren't outstanding, but they were effective. And, but the Reds were pounding the ball. I mean, <laughs> they are hitting a lot of home runs. They hit 12 home runs in that series against Colorado – and I think they hit uh, seven or eight home runs against uh, Washington. So that's 20 home runs in a week. And, uh, you know, when you get that kind of firepower uh, and Joey Votto starting to come around, that's a pretty tough lineup uh, when you have uh, the the offensive output from the top of the lineup. And, and interestingly enough, it's Billy Hamilton who's sitting, at, for him, hitting close to 260. Uh, Zach Cozart sitting 305. Um, Jay Bruce is close to 280. Uh, he's driven in for almost 40 runs. <laughs> he's hit 13 or 14 home runs. So that's a tough lineup to wade through uh, if, if you're an opposing team. And uh, we said during the offseason, we thought this team was going to score a lot of runs. It's can they prevent teams from scoring. Yesterday, they gave up 10 runs and they lose. And they scored nine. So, again, the Reds have the offensive capability, at least for now. But I think it's a fait accompli that they're going to be trading Jay Bruce maybe in the next couple of weeks uh, when you're hitting the way he's hitting. Uh, 280, he's playing great defense. uh, Again, almost 40 RBIs. He's on pace for 118, 120 RBIs this year. There's somebody like the Giants. Uh, who could really use him at this point. And they <clears throat> they lost Hunter Pence for a big part of the season, and they lost their center fielder, too. And so I, I would I would bet you're going to see Jay Bruce in San Francisco maybe in, in the next couple of weeks.
0: Could you see Johnny Cueto for Jay Bruce?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, though, the, the, the Mike Leak for Adam Duval trade was a good one uh you know now leek is with the cardinals and i think he's going to be facing the reds when the, when the cardinals open up against cincinnati uh this week so uh that was a good trade and mark uh, were
0: the giants that off
1: on duval i don't think they were off on duval i i i think they everybody knew his power and you know last year people for, forgot or forget <laughs> that he came up last year and hit five home runs in the last three weeks of the season. And this year he's hit 16 or 17 home runs. And that's 21 home runs in not very many (laughs) at-bats. I mean, it's only, you think about it, and he didn't play every day in April this year. He's done all this mainly. He only hit two home runs in, in, uh, in April. And I think he hit 13 home runs in May. And he's hit three or four home runs in June. So this guy, you know, when they have a pitcher who throws very hard, but he doesn't look like he's throwing hard, it's called easy gas, that there are some guys who can just throw the ball naturally without any strain, 97, 98 miles an hour. Well, Adam Duvall's got easy power. He can miss hit a ball, hit it on the end of the bat, and hit it over the fence. And yesterday, he pulled one down the left field line. He hit it off off the handle of the bat but he hit it on the left field line and hit it at almost 300 feet. You know, He's got that kind of power. Um, I heard somebody talking on the radio the other day, and I, I had thought about this earlier in the year. He is the kind of power that George Foster had. He's got a quick bat, and he, he's still at the plate, and when he hits it, it, it has a different sound to it. he uh, reminds me of Adam Dunn, that, that, that kind of power. But he's, I think he has the potential to be a much better all-around hitter than Dunn was. He, this guy's going to hit for average. He's got good speed. And I think the biggest surprise for Reds fans is how he's playing left field. He's a very accomplished left fielder, which surprises me. But uh, he's, he's also a guy who's played a lot of third base. So that was a good deal, the Reds. and They, they got him under control now for five years. Uh, that's the kind of deal that can turn your team around.
0: Mark, I want to go back two years. To the 2000, let's go 2013-14 season. When the Reds were at their prime, they were expected to be World Series champion contenders. At first base they had Joe Votto, Same thing this year. Brandon Phillips. Second base. Same thing then. Same thing now. Kozart. Shortstop. Third base, different. Okay, you had Frazier then, all right, you don't have him now. Left field was always a problem. Center field was Billy Hamilton, right field was Jay Bruce, catcher was Devin Mezzarocco. What's the difference? That team, two, three years ago, couldn't hit. And it's virtually the same bunch, except for Duvall, in left field.
1: Well, if you're talking offensively, there's not much difference between the teams. Uh, that those teams back in 13, 14, and 12, they scored a lot of runs. They just didn't score runs consistently. Uh, you know, the Cincinnati Reds lead Major League Baseball in scoring five or more runs in an inning. I mean, this is a big offensive team. If they, I mean, they they can get hot and, and put a lot of runs on the board. The difference in that 13 team, Dave, is who was their starting rotation.
0: Well, they had a lot of good, but my point is, why, with a majority of those players back, Mark, those hitters, I'm looking at just the lineup, why is it that that team two or three years ago had trouble putting runs on the board in a consistent manner, and now they're doing it?
1: I don't think they are doing it in a consistent manner yet, Dave. I, I think this last week, you've seen the potential this team has to score runs in bunches. They can score, because they hit a lot of home runs. Now, they're they're hitting more home runs than that team did, you know, back in 13, 14. But <laughs> Suarez, I think, will hit as many home runs as Frazier is going to hit this year. Uh, and Cozart is having a better year. Brandon Phillips is having a lesser year. He's not having as good a year as he had back in 13 and 14. So I think at the end of the year, you're going to have a team that is going to score six or 700 runs, and, you know, they're, they're going to... Have decent offensive performance, but the problem is, like like yesterday, bases loaded, nobody out, ninth inning, fans screaming, and they can't get a run in to tie the title game. That that's what the, that, that's what a team like this does. They score nine runs, but when they need to put a ball in play, just to get a fly ball, from two hitters, uh, Adam Duvall hit a short pop up to the shortstop. For the first out, Zach Kozart struck out, and then the catcher, Rodriguez, uh, hit a fly ball to left field. Now, the first two hitters, Adam Duval and Kozart, they could not put the ball in play to score a run. And that is what was maddening about the team back two or three years ago, and it'll be maddening about this team. They, 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 they don't have that ability to score one run. They can score nine, but when they need to score one, they can't. And that you and I talked about this. They, can't, they couldn't get something, but they score 14 runs one night, and the next night they'd be shut out. The difference is this team doesn't have the pitching. That, that team, that starting rotation in 2013 was, I think, the best in Reds history. And I, I, I defy anybody to, to challenge that. that. That team was capable, every starting pitcher was capable of throwing a shutout every time they went out. This team isn't close to that.
0: But John Lamb pitched a heck of a game the other day.
1: He did, but he—he's the guy who scares me. Uh, I just don't think he has the kind of stuff that is going to be um, allow him to be dominant in this league. I, I just don't. I, I'd like to think he could, but I, I just don't see it. Now, I think Finnegan—he's got—he's he, he, got stuff. And I think he can be an outstanding pitcher. And and, and Cody Reed down in Triple A, I think he can be an outstanding pitcher. But I'm not I'm not a Lamb favorite yet.
0: I think Lamb's problem is his hair does not allow him to put <laughs> his arm slot where it needs to be.
1: I, I don't get that look. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> with the tattoos and the hair and the skinny guy and all that stuff. Uh, no, but no. He, it's that's a different generation, I guess.
0: We're going to get into the draft here in just a few minutes, but, Mark, I, you know, all kidding aside about the Indians, I'm more excited about where this team is right now. I mean, they just swept the world champions, Mark, in a four-game series. That's the first time they've done that since 2006 against Kansas City, when Kansas City really was at the bottom of the barrel as far as what it is that they were doing with their team. This team has come out. They showed hitting against Kansas City. They showed pitching against Kansas City. They showed defense against Kansas City. They did everything they needed to do to win. And in the last three games, Mark, those last three games were not even close. The first game was the closest one and the Indians won it on a, on a tying run in the eighth inning and the winning run in the bottom of the ninth inning just their second walk-off win of the year. And then they went out and they just drilled Kansas City in the last three games of that series. I don't think the Royals knew what hit them.
1: Well, I saw the scores there, and I I didn't know know, what happened with those games. I I didn't see them or or, or hear them. But, you know, seriously, the Indians, their strong suit, of course, is their starting pitching. And when they get that starting pitching uh, in gear – uh, they're going to be tough to beat, and they're going to be tough to beat in a short series in the playoffs because of that starting pitching. Now, can they sustain that through the year? Who knows? But uh, if they get the offensive support that, that the pitching staff deserves, you know, this team obviously is going to compete. Uh, I think we both said that throughout the year. But, you know, it's a long season, and you never know about injuries, um, and maybe this thing with Marlon Bird did have, uh, there was a silver lining to that that uh, might help that team offensively.
0: Well, and another thing, too, is uh, the surprising team to me in the division is not the White Sox. It's the Tigers. The Tigers are only three and a half games out of first place in the Central Division. And, you know, as much trouble as Brad Osmus was in a year ago with that team, he's the darling of of the the city of Detroit right now, because nobody expected the Tigers to be where they are right now.
1: And, you know, you look at that that 25-man roster on that team, and you wonder why that's the case. And, And talk about, you know, the Reds lost their window of opportunity, but so did Detroit. You know, at the same time the Reds were supposed to be winning the National League, Detroit was supposed to be winning the World Series. I mean, think of the rotation they had. And they had Cabrera, and they had all these other guys. And, and they didn't pull it off, and they have unexpl- inexplicably, I think, uh, been uh, probably the most disappointing team in baseball, maybe with the exception of the, of the Angels over the last decade. I mean, the Angels with the roster they had with Hamilton and Pujols and all the all the rest, they were never able to pull it off. So you know, you you just never know, and you can't rely on a, a big payroll. To make a team successful, uh, look at the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees have a, an enormous payroll, and they're barely playing 500 ball. And there's no way they're going to win that division. There's no way. So, the Indians, I think, have a great chance to to pull this thing off this year, and uh, I hope they do.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're looking at the Yankees and that bullpen. That they've got. Those last three guys that they can go to in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, including Chapman in the ninth, they just can't get to them with the lead, Mark. They're 26 and 30 right now, six and a half games out of first place behind Baltimore and Boston, who are literally in a tie for first place for, in that division. But what in the world is going on with the Yankees that they just cannot seem to get to the back end of their bullpen?
1: Yeah, it's it's very strange. And I heard Marty talking about the Yankees yesterday uh, that they are going to be a guy or a team interested in uh, Mike Trout when he comes into free agency, and also um, the guy from DC. What's his name? Um, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. Uh, he's up in two years, and but as Marty said, they can't afford to wait that long. They can't wait to 2019, to, you know, to be competitive. Uh, they have to do something, and they have to do something quick and You look at that bullpen, and I wonder how far you could back it up to get to my theory of i mean the, the last three guys in that bullpen are lights out, but they never have a lead, so you can't what what goods it do to have that kind of bullpen if you're trailing by two runs right and and you know, the Yankees used to be known for all their offensive power that that team has fallen off the off the chart but uh is you know, Baltimore wasn't supposed to do anything this year and and look at what they're doing and the same with Boston. Uh so that East is, is really up for grabs and we're not even talking about Toronto. Uh and I, I still think that they're gonna make a run.
0: Well Tulewitzki's out again. Yeah. So that. there there's a problem there. I mean he may be out for up, upwards of six weeks. For that team, and you know that happens to him every year, doesn't it, Mark? He always seems to have some sort of injury where he's out for a month or two.
1: That's right; it's pretty consistent with him. And uh he's wondered that the stress of playing the position he's playing, shortstop, is such a grueling position, and that may be a situation where they move him to left field or first base and, and prolong his career.
0: You know, the interesting thing now: the Indians are going out west. They have got the four-game set with, or I'm sorry, the three-game set. Uh, no, I'm actually wrong. I was right the first time. They've got a four game set going on with Seattle. Out in Seattle. Tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then they head south and they go to Los Angeles where they'll play the Angels in a three game set. You know, when you, when an Eastern team goes out west, that really always tells the tale of how your season is going to go a lot of the time. And I, this is the measuring stick that I'm going to use on the Indians this year is to see whether or not they can come back from this this road trip maybe four and three. Three and four at the worst is what they've got to do on this road trip.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a you – know, I think that this team with their pitching, they go into every series with a chance to win that series, Uh depending on who the matchups are. But uh for some reason, the Western road swing for Eastern teams is always a challenge. It's the time change, and uh, it, it, I can understand it. it it's, it's a pain to go out there and do that. But the Indians, I think, are for, are for real. And uh, if they can come back 4-3 and three and uh, get into a groove before the all-star break, uh, you've got to like their chances.
0: Mark, this weekend was the high school baseball tournament in Columbus at Huntington Park. And as I talked about last week, I had the opportunity to go down there and do a couple games because the team that I'm following, the Waynedale Golden Bears, ended up winning on Friday against Clear Fork and got into the state championship game and lost to Highland in that one seven to one. But Mark, I wanted to bring up a couple of things. First of all, of all the games that I saw down there at Huntington Park, there were no home runs hit. Not in any of the ball games. Now, the newspaper editor here in town, here in Worcester, Aaron Dorkson at the Worcester Daily Record, complains every year, and I want to bring this up to you because you're a former pitcher, that the seams on the baseball that the OHSAA uses are high seams. It increases the restriction of the air and the flight of the baseball compared to a baseball that they use in the major leagues. Where the seams are basically flush with the hide of the ball. And in all honesty, until you actually look at the two baseballs side by side, it's hard to see the difference or even fathom that there would be a difference. But when you see them side by side, Mark, there is a tremendous difference between the height of the seams. So my question to you as a former pitcher, is that enough? The the seams being a little bit taller to restrict the flight of a baseball.
1: Well, if it restricts the flight of a baseball being hit, it would restrict the flight of a baseball being thrown. Uh, in terms of, of backing off the speed. Now, as a pitcher, I always liked high seams because you could, you can you get a better grip. Your wrecking ball is a little sharper uh, and all that. So I I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think what has more to do with it is you have much better pitching in high school these days, and the, and the pitching is always ahead of the hitting at this age, Kids, you have kids 17, 16, 17 years old throwing 92 miles an hour. And that that did not happen in my day. I mean, if if a kid threw 85, that was a guy who threw really hard, you know, back when I played. And more likely you had guys throwing 78, to 82. You know, that's a big difference. So these kids are bigger, they're stronger, and all that. And the hitters just aren't as developed as, as at a young age. But that's not unusual. I mean, pitching typically, that's why you have number one draft picks every year. You know, the first, I'd say 75% of the players taken in many, in many drafts are pitchers. That's why, because they're, they're more advanced and more developed. Uh, when you do have a great hitter like a Bryce Harper coming out of high school, it's, it's an anomaly. It's unusual. Mike Trout. Those guys stand alone uh, in the draft. We'll be talking draft in a few minutes, but uh, I, I just think the pitchers typically are ahead at that time. And don't forget, these these high school kids are moving from high school fields where typically it might be 3:15, 3:25 down the left field lines. It could be in the stadiums they're playing in is probably a bigger park uh at the state level, and certainly at the professional level. When you get into some of these ballparks, you know, it's 390 uh, in left center field. It's 335 down the line. It's 410 in center. Those are big diamonds. And most 17-, 18-year-old kids don't have the power uh, to to hit a ball that far.
0: Mark, there were a lot of scouts, both professional and college scouts, of course, at the state tournament down in Columbus this past weekend. And Cincinnati LaSalle. Couple things about them. They <clears throat> lost to Pickerington North in the Division One State Championship game by a final score of two to one. Now I cannot remember for the life of me the name of the pitcher at Pickerington North. Mark, that kid did not break the jug's gun at more than seventy two miles an hour. He threw nothing but junk. This kid had a knuckleball, a curveball, a cha- I think a changeup, but you couldn't really tell because his speed wasn't really fluctuating. It was anywhere between 67 and 71 miles an hour. But they, they put the jugs gun up on the side like they do at the major league parks. And he never tipped the the MPH at more than 71 miles per hour. And he totally befuddled the LaSalle hitters. Does he have a shot? Of anybody picking him up, I mean, for crying out loud, if he can't throw the ball any faster than 71 miles an hour, even if he's got a major league curveball, is anybody going to give him a shot?
1: If he has a major league curveball now, no, they won't, unless he has a fastball to to balance that curveball, no. Now, if you're saying that his predominant pitch is a knuckleball, uh, which you mentioned he has one, if that is his predominant pitch and he develops that over time, yeah, they might take him, uh as a low draft pick, they're not going to get get him as a top draft pick. But uh in, unless you have the gas and what's what's happened is that that minimum gas has been raised from uh the low 90s to now the high 90s. That if if you're not throwing 97, 98, 99 or 100, you're not going to be drafted. And I don't care what your stuff is or what your control is. You just can't overpower these these Major league hitters with a 92, 93 mile an hour fastball, unless you've been around enough to develop secondary and third pitches—a uh, slider, a cutter, uh, a knuckleball, you know, whatever it might be—a screwball, which you hardly ever see anymore. Uh, you don't need to throw a screwball anymore if you have a good change. So, the changeup is is the biggest is the biggest addition to the arsenal of pitchers over the last decade. And it used to be that a guy who threw 93, 94, he also had a slider that was probably in the high high 80s. Uh, that's not enough anymore because hitters, major league hitters, they will tear that stuff apart. You, you can throw 100 all you want. If you don't have something else, they're going to hit you. So in answer to your question, could they draft this kid? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but it's not going to be because he has a good breaking ball. That's That's not nearly enough.
0: The other question I had for you about Cincinnati LaSalle is they had a tall, lanky, left-handed, number three hitter that played first base, and his name was Casey. Was that in relation to Sean Casey?
1: I don't know. I I don't know that team. Um, I think Sean lives in Pittsburgh. Um, Oh, does he now? Okay. I, I
0: thought maybe he still lived in Cincinnati.
1: I think he lives in Pittsburgh. That's his hometown. And I think he went back there after he retired. And he could be down here. I don't know. But uh, okay. it would be interesting to find out.
0: Yeah. So, Pickerington North won Division One. Division Two went to Defiance. They won their second consecutive one. I played baseball in high school. Mark against Defiance's head baseball coach, Tommy Held. He's an Eden, Ohio graduate. They beat Hamilton-Baden 3-2 to two in eight innings. In the game that I did here on Ultimate Sports Talk, along with Greg Mitchell, uh, Berlin Highland, Defeated Waynedale by a final score of seven to one to win the Division three state championship and Division four Newark Catholic beat north Lewisburg Triad five to four all that at Huntington Park mark It was a lot of fun to watch these kids play a lot of fun to do the games, great venue, and just the whole weekend was outstanding, put on by the Ohio high School Athletic Association and some of those kids that we saw down there, mark. Might get drafted because the draft is going to be held this week at 7 p.m. on the Major League Baseball Network. You can watch it. The Phillies have the number one pick. The Reds have the number two pick. I'm going to play something from Keith Law here in a second, but if, what are they saying down in Cincinnati, Mark? Who, who is the, the pick of choice? If they had their pick of the litter, so to speak, who would the Reds want?
1: It depends on, of course, what the Phillies do. Early on, it's been the fact that the Phillies are going to take A.J. Puck. Uh, he, he's a left-hand pitcher out of University of Florida, throws 98. He's got all the goods. He's supposed to be an outstanding pitcher. But rumor now has it that the Phillies may go for a position player and pass on Puck. Now, if that's the case, I think the Reds will take Puck in a heartbeat. Uh, if the Phillies take Puck, as many say they still will, uh, there are three other players that apparently the Reds are, are, are targeting. Uh, one is a young man, an outfielder named Kyle Lewis from Mercer University, and a shortstop Devin uh, Perez from Puerto Rico. But the number one pick, supposedly for the Reds, their number two pick overall, is a third baseman named Nick, Nick Sensel S E N Z E L from the University of Tennessee. This guy's supposed to be major league ready uh, in, in, you know in, in a year or two. Uh, which the Reds need. But they, the, the draft, people think that a, a good draft this year is going to change this organization. It's not. It's not going to change this organization. I don't care how good the draft is. At least it won't change it for three, four, or five years. Let me ask you a question <clears throat> Can you name the Reds 2015 number one draft pick? No. Can you name 14? No. Can you name i, I
0: can't I can I can name the Indians, but I can't do the Reds. Okay,
1: can you name thirteen, twelve, or eleven? No, well, the reason you can't is none of these players are on the big league team, not one of them. Now, let's go back to two thousand and eleven Robert Stevenson. he's in AAA, Louisville. He's having an okay year. he's not been overpowering. He got lit up the other day, by the way, and he was drafted five years ago. He's been on everybody's list of top prospect for such a long time that now you begin to wonder: Did they get it wrong? Did they they pick the wrong guy in 2011, and we're just finding out in 2016? In 2012, they took Nick Trevioso. He's still in AA. A. Phil Urban is supposed to be a great position player. He's in AA. He's hitting 240. Nick Howard, the right-hand pitcher, he's in advanced single A in Daytona. Last year, Tyler Stevenson is hitting 192, playing a Class A Advanced Daytona. Now, these are the top, the top number one picks for the Reds, and only Stevenson has been up with the team. He's actually 2-0 for this year's team and pitched okay, <clears throat> but he's far from overpowering, and it, 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 the draft. It's important, but the results of that draft and the number of players who make it are so incredibly small that you cannot build your organization around the draft alone unless you have a number one pick for three or four years in a row, which means you are going to be an awful team for that period. <laughs> so uh, while I'm excited that they can finally get some talent in the organization, uh, it's not going to be a, a deal maker <clears throat> or a game changer for this team for the foreseeable future.
0: Well, let's take a listen to what ESPN's Keith Law has to say about who the Phillies may go with and then subsequently who the Cincinnati Reds may go with.
2: Usually by this point, I've got a pretty good idea of who's going in the top few picks, especially at one one but this year that's definitely not true. And so what you've got here in this piece is my best guess from consultations, to put it uh, in a formal way, with lots of people in the industry. The consensus seems to be that A.J. Puck from Florida would be the most likely first overall pick. Not to say that he definitely is, because I don't believe the Phillies have decided yet. But uh, with him at one, then that sort of informs the next few picks, at least down to about picks five or six. Uh, we've got to get a few of those top names sort of cleared off the board until we get to the next tier. What's also, I think, important to remember about this list is that the there are too many high school pitchers in this draft who are first-round worthy to actually go in the first round. And what I think that means is some guys, and I said here, I think Ian Anderson and Joey Wentz, who are first-round caliber may slip. They will probably still get paid. They'll just be selected by teams in the sandwich round or even the second round and then overpaid. Given overslot bonuses there. But the history of the draft says that when we get closer to draft day, teams flee to the safety of the college player, especially the college arm over the high school arm. And I see every evidence already of that starting to happen. So don't be shocked that you don't see some high school names you expected to go here. I do still think those guys will get picked and will get paid. It just may be later on in the draft.
0: Mark, I've looked at some of these mock drafts, like Keith Law. Right there is talking about. And let's just say the puck goes number one. I've seen the Reds and some of these mock drafts going anywhere from Nick Sensel, a third baseman in Tennessee, which, which you brought up, Kyle Lewis, an outfielder out of Mercer. I've seen drafts that say Delvin Perez, a shortstop out of Puerto Rico, but none of them have really even mentioned the Reds taking a pitcher. If puck is not there, do you think they go with a pitcher or do they go with a position player?
1: Well, just what Keith said, I think, is is accurate. You have some really good arms, but they're high school arms. And if the Reds pick a high school player now, you won't see that kid up to the major leagues for five or six years. And that's even I if. It's,
0: are you saying a pitcher for five or six years, or any player
1: any out player. of high school? Any okay. player. I think any player who's an outstanding high school talent, you simply will not see them on the major league roster for at least three or four years, and probably five. And then you have to say, okay, they're finally on the roster. When do they become productive? How long does it take for them to get up to speed to major league production? Uh, That could be another couple of years. So it's such a long-term process when you're drafting high school players – ironically the teams in many cases with the lower draft picks they'll get that stud high school player you know a t- like the indians a team that's in first place or whoever won uh, kansas city now they're going to be drafting low because they won the world series well they can sneak in in the lower round the lower first round or or even lower second round and pick up the high school player that he was just keith was just talking about because they have the ability to be patient, they can draft an 18-year-old. and They say, "Well, you know, we, we're winning now. We don't care if we don't see this kid for five years. Let him go develop the right way." And in many cases, th- that's what helps a team. They 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 have the ability to to draft the, the the more talented player because they don't care if they see him for a long time. <laughs> I know it sounds counterintuitive, but that's what can happen in many cases and how these teams. Uh, if you're going out there drafting a number one pick in hopes of that guy helping you in a couple of years, then that's not going to happen. It just does not happen unless you have a Mike Trout, uh, such an incredible high school talent. But those are guys who are so, so rare. And a lot of teams get burned thinking they're getting a five-tool player in high school, and the guy ends up hitting, you know, 228 in triple-A.
0: Right. But let's get back to do you see them taking a pitcher or do you see them taking a position player if Puck is gone? Because I think we both agree that if Puck is available, Puck is the pick for the Reds.
1: Yeah, I think they'll take a position player. Uh, I I do. I think they'll take Sensel at third. Everything I've heard about him or Mercer. Mercer apparently has more talent, I guess, more 5 tool talent ability than, than most of the players uh at, at one time they had drafted a, a a latin shortstop i don't know what happened with that draft but don't forget the reds are drafting uh number 30 that number number two and then number 35 of a sandwich round pick plus a high second round pick they've got three players in the top 35 so could they draft one of those really good high school players that that Keith was talking about, yeah, they could. Maybe in the in the early second round they could get a really talented player. But I think they're going to go with position players because right now that's what that organization lacks.
0: Well, this mock draft that I'm looking at right now, I think the player that you were talking about is a kid named Delvin Perez, yeah. who's a shortstop out of Puerto Rico. Um, this mock draft says that the Reds will almost certainly – go with the bat at the number two pick in the draft on Thursday night. And Nick Senzel is the hot name, but a lot of the scouts are feeling that Perez may be the best player in this draft over time, so they expect the Reds to go for the high ceiling here and go with Delvin Perez out of Puerto Rico.
1: Well, they may. Uh, you know, I think bats are, are tougher to project than arms, frankly. If a kid... At 18 years old, is throwing 98 miles an hour. Uh, he, so what if he's wild, you know? So he only has no he has no other secondary pitches. They can develop that. Uh, a bat is, I think, more difficult to project. Uh, bat speed, uh, strength. How how are you going to develop as a hitter? Uh, there's a lot of guys who've come up over the years who think that you know they're going to be great hitters, and they just don't turn out to be great hitters. Great hitters are tough to find. So. I don't know what the Reds' long-term plans are. I think short-term, they're going to be looking toward a bat. I would be surprised if they took Perez, uh, but they might. They may, they may see a high upside for this kid. And don't forget, uh, Cozart, you know, he's going to be gone next year. Uh, he's going to be a free agent, so they're going to need a shortstop. Now, that that kid won't be ready to play for two or three years, so uh, you'll, you'll have a, a stopgap next year at short. Well, that kid develops if they draft him. But the Sensel, uh, from all indications, are that he's the best power bat in in the draft,
0: and that's what it's. They also call him the most developed bat in the draft. It's not just the power that they've got. They say that he's probably the best developed bat. Is the word that they use here in this mock draft.
1: Well, I hope they get him. I, I don't think they need another shortstop hitting two twenty eight. I don't care how good he is uh, defensively, that team needs some power. And if a kid is drafted as a third baseman out of high school (laughs) or even out of college, that doesn't mean he's going to stay at third base. I mean, you could see Sensel going to left field. I don't know what kind of speed he has, but maybe even right field because Jay Bruce will be gone. So uh, I hope the Reds draft Sensel. I think he's going to have a shorter path to the big leagues than the other guys other than Puck. Uh, from what I read about Puck, uh, he's he's not Kershaw, but he's he's that kind of power arm. And uh, I, I would hope the Reds would get him because uh, even if they draft too many pitchers, you can always trade those pitchers, if they're good, for, for some good major league hitters.
0: Mark, I've heard crazy comparisons to even Steve Carlton.
1: Yeah, I mean, this guy is supposed to be the real deal, um, and, you know, he's, I think he's what, 6'7", 235, 240? Yeah. He's, he's a big boy. And, uh, that kind of, that kind of power arm, uh, is hard to come by. And so I, I, I think the Phillies would almost certainly take him. I can't imagine with where they are in their development that they wouldn't take that kid. Uh, maybe they're sending out false messages, I don't know. But it'll be interesting. It's Thursday night at 7 p.m., and, uh, uh, I think a lot of Reds fans would be looking forward to that, only because there's nothing else to look forward to this year with this team.
2: <laughs> well,
0: there's something else that's interesting about the draft this year. This is going to provide the fifth and final referendum on the slotting system and bonus pools that have been involved in the draft for the past four years. And what that means is, The current collective bargaining agreement, which introduced these rules, expires after next year. Major League Baseball assigns a monetary value to every pick in the top 10 rounds of the 40-round draft. And this year that value ranges from $9,015,000 for the first overall pick. If Puck is drafted number one, he automatically gets a salary of $9,015,000 thousand dollars. You mean a bonus. A bonus. Yeah. And that goes to one point eight seven eight for the St. Louis Cardinals with the last pick of the first round to one hundred fifty six thousand six hundred dollars for the Cardinals tenth round pick, which is the last pick in the tenth round. Now what happens Mark is you take that sum of the values for the team's picks in the first 10 rounds, and that equals its bonus pool. And if you spend more than that pool and pay a tax on the, you have to pay a tax on the overage, you spend too much more and you forfeit a future first round pick. Now, is that's something that we really haven't heard that much about over the previous four years? This is the last year that this system is going to be used. I, I really have no opinion either way. On this system, do you?
1: Well, I, I don't have an opinion on it. The, the reality is, the Cincinnati Reds have more money to spend in, in that system this year than any other major league team. So, what that means is they could pass on some of the top players that they're going to cost them more money, and and get like Keith Law said, get somebody in the second or third round. For, for they could overpay that player and still get a great player. Get get a kid. Who people think he's going to go to college, and they won't draft him because of that. Well, the Reds could walk in and say, "Well, look, your your slot position says you're going to be getting a million dollars. Well, we can give you 1.5 million," and they may talk that really good kid into not going to college and signing with them. So the Reds have a lot of opportunity with this draft, but uh, you know, it's it's inconceivable that next year's draft is going to be less money paid to the players. My only issue with that is when an untried player coming out of high school, I don't care how good they are in high school, is conceivably getting $9 million, or even a college player getting $9 million, at some point those dollars are coming out of the major league roster salaries. You just—you can't do both. You can't be signing... Uh, for $9 million, an untried kid, and then also signing a major free agent. You can't do both. So I'm wondering how the the union is going to approach that. Are they going to say, hey, wait a minute, why are you guys, why are you high school kids getting millions of dollars when you haven't proved anything? That money should go to the players who have proven themselves.
0: And And I agree with you. I think that's going to be a sticking point in the contract negotiations coming up in, well, probably about a year from now is when they'll start negotiating out those contracts, Mark, because, you know, when you look you look at this, um, it could be a bugaboo, because normally the union wants to look after its current members, not the future members.
1: Well, yeah, and I can't see that, if it did become an issue, that major league players are going to be striking so some 18-year-old kid could get an extra half a million dollars. You know, I, I don't see that happening. Uh <laughs> It would, that would be that would be lunacy. Uh, so, yeah, something's got to give, and I'm, I'm not sure the system necessarily is a, is a terrible system. Uh, it does what it does do. It caps, in essence, what the number one pick can get. Uh, but when you're getting nine million dollars when you haven't played a professional game, that's a pretty that's a pretty good gig.
0: Do you see the Reds? Pulling any surprises with that number two pick under Jockety and Williams?
1: Well, you can't trade the pick, so I, I don't know. Uh, in other words, you can't trade down. Right. Uh, so, but
0: I yeah. mean, do you think they would go with somebody off the wall, other than the players that we've already mentioned?
1: If they did, they do it with a lot of risk because that they would have to be overpaying somebody at least by everybody else's standards. So, if they were to pick somebody, you know, that no one's heard of, well. That means they're overpaying theoretically for that player because nobody, no one else has valued that player that highly. So if you're going to protect yourself, at least through uh, the public, uh, the public lens, uh, if you if you have a chance to take puck and you don't, uh, you're you're going to you're going to pay the price. If you take puck and he doesn't pan out, at least you've gone with the conventional wisdom, and you've been you know you've been. You're protecting yourself somewhat by taking that that name. So Sensel, uh, by taking him, everybody says that that's a bat, that is a developed bat. He, 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 he's not a bad pick. If he doesn't pan out, you can't go back and say, "Gee, we made a bad pick." No, you didn't. You made a, you made a pick that everybody else said you should have made. And I think that goes into uh, the decision making many many times. Mark.
0: As we round out tonight's show, a couple of years, 1991 and 1992. What happened on this day in baseball in 1991? Any idea?
1: I think I had a chicken sandwich for lunch. Uh... <laughs> the
0: Cleveland Indians demoted Albert Bell. They shipped him to the minors for not running out of ground ball in their 2-1 to loss to the White Sox. Got rid of him. Sent him down in 1991. Of course, the next, I think it was within two weeks, he was right back up with the team. And in 1992, on this day in baseball, Eddie Murray, who was playing that time, at that time for the New York Mets, became the all time leader in RBIs by a switch hitter as he passed Mickey Mantle with his 1,510th RBI.
1: You know, one thing I don't know is Eddie Murray in the Hall of Fame. Yes, I, I, I thought he was. He I mean, with with those numbers, I always thought he was a great hitter. <laughs> oh, I mean, he was when he was with Baltimore man. He <clears throat> he was power. He was speed. Uh, he was average. He, he was the real deal.
0: Of course, the Reds are off tonight. They play in Saint, or they play at home tomorrow night, Wednesday night, Thursday night against St. Louis, and then Oakland comes to town this weekend. Mark, you going to go to any of those games?
1: No, I'm I'm a fair-weather fan. I'm going to see how they do. If they they win two out of three against the Cardinals, I might go down and watch Oakland play.
0: And like I said, the Indians, they play in Seattle here in about ten minutes, and they've got a four-game set with the Mariners through Thursday, and then they play in Los Angeles against the Angels this weekend, Friday, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, that's going to do it for the show this week. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next Monday night.
1: Have a good one, Dave.
0: That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks a lot to Mark Donahue. to Greg Mitchell, also for producing tonight's show, but also to you for listening here this evening. That'll wrap things up. Until next Monday night at nine o'clock, I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Have a good week, everybody. The Whiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella,
1: talking baseball. baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber and the nuke. They knew
0: them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie Mick.